Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's a, a few months ago when you're in Afghanistan with your family and Kabul is falling and you're desperately trying to make your way with your family to the Canadian embassy, to safety. If you can get there, you can take refuge and wait for the flight to take you out of this mess and take you back home to Canada. But when you get to the embassy, the gates are wide open. There's no security. There's no checkpoint. There's just a cheerful sign declaring that this is an inclusive place and everyone is welcome. And so you end up in the waiting room, sitting next to a person wearing an explosive vest. And it's ticking very loudly. So you get up and you go to a Canadian soldier who's lounging against the wall. He has a Taliban flag draped over his shoulders and it almost totally obscures the Canadian flag on his upper sleeve. And you ask the soldier, what's up? Why aren't you guarding the gates? Why aren't you controlling the access points? And the, the soldier looks at you askance and asks, what are you? Some kind of judgmental bigot? We're Canadians. We're inclusive. We accept all people. All are welcome. And you say to him, well, that's all, that's all nice. That's all great. Let's welcome everyone who seeks refuge. But if you let in the people with the explosive vests, we're all going to get killed. Well, isn't that a ridiculous example? How would something like that ever happen? Well, it does happen. And it happens a lot, and way worse than in our example, because our example deals with this life. But unfortunately, things like this happen in the church when it comes to eternal life. The world has fallen into the hands of the enemy, and Christ has come and begun the process of reconquest, but for the time being, much of the world remains under the enemy's power, and Christ has established his embassies all over the world, and these are places of refuge. And Christ has also appointed gatekeepers. And the officers of the church have the responsibility to keep watch on the walls of Zion. They must let in the citizens of the kingdom. They must open the doors to all who seek refuge, all who flee from sin and flee to Christ. That's, in fact, why the church exists in the world. The life of the church revolves around the work of Christ's ministers, Christ's ambassadors, who call sinners to come and be reconciled to God. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so that's what a faithful church does. It throws open the doors wide to all sinners who come fleeing from sin, fleeing from God's wrath on sin, fleeing to find refuge in Christ. And the key that the church uses to open that door is the proclamation of the gospel. And it's such a simple message, but it's such a powerful, life-changing message. God is good. God is gracious. God is forgiving. 
Jesus died for sinners. Turn from your sins. Repent. Believe in the gospel. Are you weighed down and burdened by sin and guilt? Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you feel unworthy? Good. Because you are. But Christ is worthy. So come to God based on Christ's merits, and he will most surely welcome you as his child. And that simple message throws the door of the kingdom of heaven wide open. The gospel promise is for everyone, rich and poor, old and young, people who have led a more or less outwardly so-called clean life, and people who have made an absolute mess of their lives and given themselves over to the most vile and shameful sins. But no one is too clean. Or no one is too vile, no one is too sinful, no one is too unworthy, no one who comes in repentance, no one who embraces the promise of the gospel by true faith will be turned away. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6, 37. John 6, 37, he says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then look at verse 40 there in John chapter 6. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now notice how the catechism confesses scriptural truth. This throwing the doors of the kingdom wide open is for believers. It is for people who by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. God calls, they hear, they obey, they turn their backs on sin, they flee to take refuge in Christ. And the preaching of the gospel calls everyone to bow the knee and everyone to confess that Christ is Lord. The preaching of the gospel is wide and indiscriminate. It must be published abroad to the whole world, to every nation, to every city, to every person. It is big-hearted. It is open-handed. It is the declaration of the love of God to a dying world. And that's what the church is. The church is the gathering of those upon whom God has set his love. And what love loves, it protects. And so the king of kings has two voices. One, he uses to speak comfort, to speak tenderly to his people. He reassures us that all is well, that we are safe under his care. And the other voice is the voice that he uses against the enemies of the kingdom. And it is a voice of terror and judgment. And so likewise... Christ's ambassadors have those two voices. They reflect those two voices of the King of Kings. The preaching of the gospel throws the doors of the kingdom wide open for believers. But faithful preaching also slams the door shut against the enemy of the king. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And then he continues to say this, 
Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. A loving church speaks truth to a dying world. A loving church calls sinners to throw aside the flag and insignia of the kingdom of darkness. A loving church calls sinners to cast off the explosive vest of sin. A loving church proclaims to impenitent sinners that the wrath of God rests upon them. A loving church proclaims to the world that Jesus Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. And that for unrepentant sinners, there is a fearful expectation of judgment and eternal condemnation. But do you notice what the Catechism adds? After speaking about the wrath of God and eternal condemnation resting on them, do you see what the Catechism says next? It adds something right there in question 84. As long as they do not repent. You see those words there in the Catechism? Those are gospel words. You see, see, even when the church proclaims the wrath of God, she does this in a gospel way, in an evangelical way. She thunders with the judgment of God upon sin in order to drive sinners to seek the Lord. And so even as the church declares that sin leads to death, she calls on sinners to repent. You remember those words that we just read a few moments ago in Isaiah 55, 6, and 7. Isaiah 55, 6, and 7 where it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The message of the church is urgent. Time is running out. Time is of the essence. There is no time to be wasted. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Let the wicked forsake his way. It's that simple. If you love Christ, there is a place for you in the kingdom. If you love sin, there is no place for you in the kingdom. And so when someone approaches the church and they're waving the flag and wearing the uniform of the kingdom of darkness and they're wearing the explosive vest of sin, then Christ's faithful ambassadors and gatekeepers, the preachers and the elders, they're not going to welcome them in the way they are. They're not going to say, oh, good, another person to add to our church growth statistics. Rather, they're going to train the full firepower of the gospel on that person. And they're going to say, stop right there. You are most welcome to come in but you must forswear your allegiance to the prince of darkness. You must take off the uniform of the enemy. You cannot eat at the table of the Lord and at the table of of demons. You cannot serve two masters. And you've got to lose that vest, that explosive vest of sin, 
You must choose. Either you love sin or you love Christ. And if you love sin, you must stay away under God's wrath. If you love Christ, you are our brother. Come in and welcome home. And if that's the way we speak to unbelievers out there, how much more ought we to proclaim this truth to unbelievers and hypocrites in the church? If the person sitting next to me is wearing that ticking time bomb explosive vest of unrepented sin, I can't just go on pretending that everything's okay. It needs to be dealt with because it's going to hurt him and it's going to hurt those around him. And the sinner is more than welcome to stay, but he needs to lose the vest. A church which does not close the kingdom to unrepentant sinners, a church which does not faithfully administer church discipline, is a church which hates sinners. It hates God's people. It hates the gospel. It hates God. And it loves death. Now you may sometimes wonder why the elders proceed with discipline. As long as the person is still showing up somewhat in church, as long as there are still some relationships with the congregation, why push the sinner away? Why not just be patient? And the scriptural answer to this is this. The wages of sin is death. Unrepented of sin is a ticking time bomb in the sinner's life and in the life of the church. And people who choose to love sin must learn the hard and painful lesson that you cannot hold on to your sin and at the same time hold on to Christ. You cannot love sin and love Christ at the same time. If you insist on loving your sin, the church will place you outside, and lock the door against you. That's the main use of the key of discipline. It locks impenitent sinners out of the, out of the congregation, out of the kingdom. But even then, even then, in wrath, God remembers mercy. What does the church long for? What does the church pray for in every step of discipline? And even in that final act of excommunication, well, Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. He's speaking there about excommunication. And he speaks about delivering the sinner, the unrepentant sinner, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words the member is removed from communion with the body of Christ. The member is cast back into the world of sin that he loves and that he holds on to. He is once again in the dominion of the prince of darkness. He is without God and without hope in the world. That's what delivering to Satan means for the destruction of the flesh. You're out of the kingdom of God. But then look at the next words in 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's the desire. Even with excommunication, that is the longing of the church. 
an impenitent sinner is shut out of the kingdom in the hope and with the prayer that by God's grace he might return in repentance and faith. That prodigal son, you remember the prodigal son. When he reached the very bottom of his misery, that's when he finally woke up and came to his senses and he realized what he had thrown away as he pursued sin. He realized that he needed to run back to the Father. He realized that he needed to come back home. And that is the desire of the church in discipline. We pray that our brother would come to his senses. We pray that he would give his head a shake and that he would realize that he has thrown away the love of God and the love of God's people and exchanged that holy love for a love of sin. And we pray that he would turn his back on sin and run back to the Father who is waiting with open arms to receive him back into the family. Now, we sinners want to convince ourselves that we need to be nice. We don't like to draw hard lines. We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to exclude people. And there is a danger that in our desire to be nice, we might deny the truth of the gospel. If we do not declare the wrath of God upon unrepented sin, then why should sinners bother to flee to Christ. When the church is unfaithful in discipline, then by her actions, she is denying the very gospel that she is called to preach. You see, if opening the kingdom to believers is to have any meaning, then the church must be faithful in closing the kingdom to unbelievers. And a church which rarely or never speaks about God's wrath, or never mentions eternal condemnation, will be a worldly church, a church which does not distinguish between repentant and unrepentant sinners. It will be a church which is giving aid and comfort to the enemy, and it will not be a fortress to which God's people can flee for refuge. Now, the preaching of the gospel is the primary means, the primary key, which God has ordained to open and close the kingdom of heaven. Everything else the church does to reach sinners must be subservient to this highest and most glorious calling that she has received from Christ. We can't entertain people into the kingdom of heaven. We can't bring people into the kingdom by piquing their curiosity with all kinds of interesting lectures and activities and programs. We can't bring sinners to Christ by doing nice things for them or by substituting social connections for the unity of faith. We cannot call people from darkness to light by simple, simply keeping the gospel for ourselves and simply remarking, well, the church doors are open. That's not how it works. We are called to proclaim and publicly testify. That's what we confess. That's straight from the Scriptures. That's what Jesus told the apostles as leaders of the New Testament church. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Not just to yourselves, not just to your kids in catechism classes, but to the whole creation. And we must do that. We must obey the command of Christ. 
knowing that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, knowing that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So we have a calling as church to use the keys of the kingdom. We have a calling as church here in St. Albert to testify and proclaim the gospel in St. Albert, in Sturgeon County. And the church has the duty and the, and the, and the, and the responsibility to preach and proclaim, to publicly testify the gospel in every city, in every town in Canada, in every town and village around the entire world. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they do not hear him speak to them? And how are they to hear him speak if no one preaches to them? Now, we can come up with all kinds of ideas. We can get all creative when it comes to trying to draw people to Christ. But every one of those ideas will fail unless they take into account the fact that only the voice of God himself can speak new life into the sinner's dead heart. Do we desire to see the advance of the kingdom of God? Then we must love preaching. We must love it for ourselves. We must love it for our children. We must love it for our unbelieving family and friends, our neighbors, for our community. And we must know and we must believe what God himself has said about the power of the word. We read it there in Isaiah 55, my word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So let's get the word out there. The time is short. The Lord is at hand. We are surrounded by people locked into slavery to sin. They are locked down under despair. They are locked into a prison of unbelief. They are locked under the sentence of the wrath of God and eternal condemnation. They have no way out. And they will die forever in this prison unless they are set free. And Jesus is the king. We sang about him. He is the holy one. He is the true one. He has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And Jesus has entrusted these keys of the kingdom to his church. Yes, we are stewards of the gospel. We have the key. We have the key to open the prison to those who are bound. We have the key to proclaim liberty to the captives. We have the key to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And if we have that key, then for God's sake, let us use it. Amen.